0: They're crazy, they're zany, and just plain nuts. But they love Jesus, America's Keswick, and all of you. Here are the hosts of the Bob and Bill podcast, Robert Hayes and Bill. song, isn't it? The King is coming. The King is coming and Jesus is coming again. And that really sets us up for a wonderful message today. Thank you for joining us on episode 31 of the Bob and Bill podcast. Our speaker today is Dr. Tony Hart from Montco Bible Fellowship Church. Uh, He's been a speaker here at America's Keswick, was here last summer and shared a study in the book of First Thessalonians. And as uh, we did on Wednesday, this is just a really timely study. (laughs) Right now. So let's give a watch to Dr. Tony Hart.
1: How about the Lord is coming back Amen. and we need to be ready. And uh, of course, doing ministry is part of uh, being ready. But there's some other things that we need to keep in mind as we consider uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We've got down to verse 19 uh, through 18. We're going to pick up at 19 and see what we can cover this morning. Heavenly Father, we bow before you now. Lord, we ask that you would cause this text to come alive, that it would be understood and applied, and we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, John D. Rockefeller uh, was, uh, for most of his life, said to be the richest man that ever lived. Uh, They say that he had more money than any 10 men could ever spend. That's a lot of money. Uh, His ingenuity and vision gave him a jump on the oil industry through his company, Standard Oil. And even today, the name Rockefeller is synonymous with wealth and success. When we talk about the Rockefellers, all of a sudden you think about all the money that they have had and passed down. But, you know, he is quoted as saying, you think that he would have money as the priority in his life, but he's quoted as saying that, that the most valuable thing that you can have is the ability to get along with people. So even a man like Rockefeller understood that money is not the most important thing. And I want to suggest to you that getting along with people is not the most important thing either. But there is somebody that we need to make sure that we're on the same page with. There is somebody that we need to make sure that we're always in good fellowship with, that we are always able to get along with. And that person is who? Jesus. That's always the right answer Jesus. <laughs> we need to make sure that we are always in fellowship with Jesus. And there are many Christians who are not ready for him to show up. There are a lot of Christians who are out of fellowship with him. There are a lot of Christians who are not ready for him to break the clouds and come and find them in the state and condition in which they are. And so Paul is writing this letter and he's listing these things, as I mentioned, not because of some form of legalism. Uh, it's not for salvation, but it is for fellowship with him. It's so that we would be ready for his return. Now, I don't know. I was um, thinking about when I talked about fellowship and relationship, I'm not sure how clearly I made that that distinction yesterday. So I'm going to, if I did, then forgive me for repetition. But I want to make sure that you understand the difference between fellowship and relationship. You see, relationship is defining the connection between two people. Relationship is, for example, my son is my son. And what can my son do to not be my son? Nothing. And so he is my son. That is our relationship. Husband and wife is a relationship. Employer and employee, that's a relationship. Uh, Friends is a relationship. It defines the connection that two people have fellowship on the other hand talks about the intimacy of that connection are you with me and so you can talk to and i've spoken to husbands and wives that aren't even talking to each other they're still husband and wife they still have that relationship but there's no fellowship how many of you know there are brothers and sisters that haven't spoken in 10 years They're still in relationship. They're still brother and sister, but there's no fellowship. Fellowship talks about the intimacy of that connection. When we get saved, we are adopted and born into the family of God. We become children of God. There is absolutely nothing that can mess up that relationship. What can you do to not be a son anymore, a daughter anymore? absolutely nothing. We are in the family of God. But in the very same way that uh, that a family cannot experience fellowship down here, we can fall out of fellowship with God. There are some Christians that don't have a prayer life with God. they are Christians that are going and doing their own thing and are out of fellowship with God. And he wants us to be in fellowship with him when he comes back. He wants us to be ready when he comes back. And so there's some things that we need to do. I've mentioned that some of those things are like riding a bike. Some of them are like driving a car. Uh, but but the list is here of things that the Apostle Paul is, is challenging these believers. And the next one in verse 19 that I want to share with you Is the idea that being ready involves letting the Holy Spirit rule your life. Letting the Holy Spirit rule your life. You see, the idea behind quenching the Holy Spirit is to extinguish any influence or direction that the Holy Spirit brings. We extinguish the rule of the Spirit of God in us. And let me tell you something, the Holy Spirit is a powerful person. He's not easily kicked. He's not easily pushed into a corner. But but the thing that causes us to extinguish and quench the rule of the Spirit of God in us is this thing called selfishness. Now, if you want to understand what sin is, let me give you a clear understanding of what sin is. Sin is selfishness the essence of sin is selfishness. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when our four parents were there. And what did they say? I want to be like God. It's a selfish act. And that selfishness has become like a virus that has infected all of us. It's a virus that, that eats away at us Uh, And and that virus is inherited and has been passed on to, to generation after generation. That virus of selfishness has infected the whole human race so that every last one of us is guilty of selfishness. That's why the Bible says we are born in sin. Shaping in iniquity sin and being guilty before God is not even about what you do. It's about the condition that you're born in. It's about that virus that you inherited. I am a selfish person today because I got my selfish streak from my daddy and he got it from his daddy and he got it from his daddy all the way back to the Garden. We're selfish. Now, when you think about that, that actually helps you to understand and to explain why we are sinners and why we're born sinners. If you go to the world, most of the world rejects that idea that we're born as sinners. And in fact, the argument is, how can you say that this little baby that comes from the hospital is a sinner? How can you, the little baby never told a lie, and the never, baby never killed anybody the, the little baby, how can you say the little baby is a sinner? I was sitting up on the balcony um, looking over some notes and I saw, I think it was you, came down with a, the little baby, a cute little baby in his arms and, and he's being rocked and, and held. Now, to call that little baby a sinner is offensive. How in the world can you say that that baby's a sinner? Well, every mother will tell you the most selfish person in the house is that little baby. (laughs) They want the bottle in their mouth, and they don't care what's in your mouth. (laughs) Am I right about it? In fact, you have to spend time and teach that little one to share their toys. That the world is bigger than just them. And some of us get a better handle on that than others. But that selfish streak is there in every last one of us. And we just sometimes get it a little under a little bit better control, but it's still there. Paul calls it the sin principle. Some people talk about it as the sin nature. It's a virus of selfishness that that has infected the whole human race. And it is that selfishness that pushes the Holy Spirit into a corner so that we tell the Spirit of God, you sit down here and I'll do what I want to do. It's that selfishness that quenches the rule of the Spirit of God that that tells God, no, I don't want to do that that you're telling me to do. I want to do something else. It's why people have come to me and say, no, I'm not going on a mission trip. I have the money, I have the time, but I'm not going because I don't like the bugs. No, that's nobody here, I know. It's selfishness. Am I going to have to, where are we going to sleep? Is there air conditioning? It's selfishness. And that selfishness squenches and and, and squeezes the rule of the Spirit of God so that even when he's prompting you to do something or to go somewhere or to say something to a neighbor or to express love in some way, even when the Spirit of God is trying to rule, our selfish desires are squelching that. And so, uh, you know, we need to make sure that our self will and our desire for autonomy doesn't become an obstacle in our lives. The picture this is this interesting. The picture of the Holy Spirit that we see in scripture in Revelation 22:17 is that of living water. In Matthew 3:11 and in Acts 2 at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is associated with fire. And here the picture of quenching the spirit invokes also a picture of fire uh, that's being put out. Uh, But it's interesting that that these two metaphors of fire and water seem to be opposites. that, That one puts out the other. And the truth is that the water of our selfishness can dampen the fire of God's spirit And the water of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can dampen and extinguish the fire of our selfishness. And so have you ever seen like two people having a water hose fight? And, you know, just spraying the water on each other? Well, the fact is that the water of the Spirit of God needs to soak through us and dampen the fire of our selfishness. Because our selfishness is the thing that extinguishes and quenches the rule of the Spirit of God in us. And so what's the answer? The answer is that it requires complete surrender of our wills. It it requires complete surrender to the rule of God. Now, you know, I mentioned yesterday I did get a chance to go skating yesterday I found a rink up in Jackson and went there. Normally, on Tuesdays, I go and skate. And, um, but in skating, if you could put that, that screen up, in skating, they have what the, a routine that they call a death spiral. And I've shown you a picture of a death spiral there, and just in case you're not sure what that refers to. But a death spiral, um, for the guy, that's a pretty easy thing to learn. I mean, you can learn uh, if you have, I mean, if you can skate, <laughs> uh, you, you, you can learn the man's part uh, to, to do a death spiral. It's mostly strength against the centrifugal force. But the lady's part requires complete surrender and trust. I mean, look at her head is in a very vulnerable place. I mean that requires faith and trust, and, and I think that that's a good illustration of where we need to be. We need to 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 not rely on our own selfish desires, but we need complete surrender to God. We need to be able to lay out with Him, and allow Him to take us around. And uh, and so, yeah, you can you can change that screen now. Want to push that too far? But, um, you know, another, another good illustration is when I was in college, um, when I was a kid, I went to Grove City College after high school, and um, Grove City was going west from Philadelphia, uh, north of Pittsburgh, and my older sister went to Houghton College, which is north up in upstate New York. And um, for some reason, it seemed as though I would always get home for holidays like a day or two before she got off. So there were times when my dad would say, uh, well, Tony, here, take the car and go pick up your sister from school. Well, it was supposed to be like an eight-hour ride uh, up to Houghton, New York, from Philadelphia. But I would leave after dinner around six o'clock and step on it. And get up there around midnight, throw her stuff in the car, hit the road again to get back in Philly like around six in the morning. Now, I'm not recommending uh, <laughs> that, kind of, that kind of travel, but I was young and foolish. But you'll hear how foolish in a minute. Um, when you come across upstate New York, especially in the winter time, uh, you know, across 17 and down 81, coming through the mountains, it was often very foggy. I mean, you could barely see in front of you maybe a, a a line or two being passed under the car. And so what I would do is line up the car and step on the gas and just follow the lines boom, boom, under the car. Now, again, I'm not recommending... <laughs> I wouldn't do that today. I value my life a little bit more, maybe, or, but, uh, but, and my sisters, right? But, but the reality is that I learned to trust the lines in the road, even though I couldn't see much else that was going around. And following the Holy Spirit, submitting and surrendering our lives to the Holy Spirit is very much like that. Life is like a fog. We live in a fog. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so what we need to do is we need to line up our lives with the lines that God has given to us in his word and by his spirit. We need to line up our lives and we need to, even when we step on the gas, we need to follow the lines. It wouldn't make much sense for me to say, well, if you know how cars have a little compass in there and we're supposed to be going south, but the road takes a turn, and I'm going west for a while. It wouldn't make much sense for me to say, well, I think we shouldn't be going west. Let me turn the wheel and head south again and leave the lines that are there. That's leaning on your own understanding and not following the lines that God has given to us. Don't quench the spirit. If you want to be ready when when the clouds break open and Jesus comes for his church, then don't quench the Spirit. Surrender your heart and your life to his rule and reign. Amen? Amen? It requires total surrender. But there's something else that I need you to see, and that's in verse 20. And verse 20 says, do not despise prophecies. Being ready for the coming of Christ involves appreciating a word from God, appreciating when God is speaking to us. This text reminds us that we're not to despise a word from the Lord. That's what prophecy is. It's a word from God. The opposite of despising is to appreciate and love hearing from the Lord. Now, believe it or not, there are Christians. I know nobody here at Keswick, girls, cuz you all are here hearing the word twice a day and sometimes more. But uh but there are Christians who don't tune in and hear. They don't want to hear from God more than maybe 30 minutes a week. In fact, as I go around and speak at different places, the fact of the matter is that there are there are some Christians and the pastor warns you, you know, well if you go past 12 o'clock to 1205, these people are going to get, like, nervous. <laughs> and, uh, and we have become a, a group of Christians that, Lord, speak to me, but do it quickly and in my time frame. And uh, we don't really love the word of God. We endure it. We know there's some benefit to it. So we'll listen through it, and okay, there's a chapel. Maybe he'll say something good, but we're not loving the word of God. And I think that uh, in order to be ready for him to come, we need to challenge ourselves to love the word of God. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, is quoted as saying, God has condescended to teach me the way. He has written it down in a book. And he said this, give me that book. I want that book. Any more than that would would, uh, would just challenge us. We need to get that book at any price. We need to absorb the word of God and learn it and, and appreciate it. So don't despise that daily time in the word. Don't despise the teaching and preaching of the word don't despise the application of the word to the issues of your life. Prophecy is just simply a word from God. You know, sometimes we think of prophecy and we think about, you know, uh, foretelling the future. But it's more than just foretelling the future. It's anytime God is speaking to us about our lives. It's not predicting anything all the time. It's much more than that. And so we should love it when the word is made relevant to our lives. When it tells you who you should be looking at for a marriage partner. When it tells you how you should spend your money. What should get you angry? What movies to avoid? How much of your money you should give to your wife? I just threw that one in. You see, the word of God gets into our business. And it tells us what's good and what's not good and what we should be doing and not doing. And we should actually love to get that instruction from God. Why? Because we desire to live a life that pleases him. And yet we find so many believers that don't really appreciate the word of God. You know, I go to a lot of different countries, and one of the things that absolutely amazes me is that in some of these countries, people will walk for miles to get to church, to hear the word, and here we, you know, we pull up in our air-conditioned, you know, whatever, and, uh, and then we complain if the temperature is not exactly 70. And uh, we, you know, we have all these things that we want to have in place. And, and, and the last thing on our mind is just that I can't wait to hear what the word of God has to say to me. If that was our desire, we'd be listening to the word, not just on Sunday, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday we would be attracted to hear what God has to say. And so get ready for the coming of Jesus by falling in love with God's word. But then also, look at verse 21. Being ready involves testing all things to hold on to what is good. You see, we're supposed to test what we hear and only hold on to what is good. How many of you know that not everything you hear is good? Now, maybe at Keswick, it's all good, but not everything out there is good. And so we need to test what we hear. Uh, There's an expression that says you need to chew the meat and spit out the bones. Uh, That's another way of saying that you need to test what you hear and hold on to what is good. So what does testing look like? Well, first of all, we test with the whole counsel of the word of God it's got to agree with the whole counsel of the word of God. And if it doesn't agree with the Bible, spit it out. It doesn't, uh, uh, this is our manual, this is our textbook, this is what we go by, Amen? amen? And so we need to make sure that we test what we hear and increasingly, whether it's on television or on the radio, There's a whole lot of foolishness out there. And you need to be able to test what you hear by the word of God. But but in addition to just testing what we hear by the word of God, we also need to test what we hear by the the history of orthodoxy. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's been said that we should not do theology uh, by ourselves that theology is to be done in community. And so there have been 2,000 years of theological thinking by guys who are smarter than most of us. And, uh, and, and so not that, that the church history and the church provides uh, authority like the Bible. The Bible is our primary authority when it comes to theological thinking. But the church provides what I consider to be like guardrails. And so, and so when we are reading something on our own and we come up with a conclusion about a verse that, that might be different than what the church is teaching, the church's teaching is like guardrails. We need to like slow down and recognize we're driving near the edge. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And, and, and so, with those guardrails of orthodoxy, uh, we, we, are, we are limiting ourselves and challenging ourselves to really think it through. Now, it doesn't mean that the church is always right. And it doesn't mean that, uh, that the church um, is like, you know, how, how the Catholic church is, you know, is, puts it on the same level as God's revelation. Uh, orthodoxy in the church history and the church's theology that's been handed to us is not the same as the word of God. This is our final, final authority. But, but what it does provide is like warning lights. It's like warning lights that, that now you're, you're thinking about this, but you're near the edge and you need to go slow. And so we think in community, bounce it off each other. Talk to somebody else. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, uh, and make sure that we're, our theological thinking is in community and there's safety in that. There, there's, there's safety in that. And so we test all things with the word, in community, with the church. But also, I don't want to eliminate the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that we need to allow the Spirit of God to, to speak to our hearts and to challenge us in uh, in our thinking. Uh, to let us know that and he is able to teach us. Amen. Uh, the spirit of God will teach us. If we allow him and confirm what is true in our lives. Do you know that the FBI. How they teach people about to, to, to identify counterfeit money. You heard about that. They They don't. They don't have classes where they bring in all the various counterfeits that are out there. That's not what they do. What they do is they study the real dollar, all the features of the real dollar, every aspect of a real dollar bill. They get familiar, so familiar with that real dollar bill that anything that comes that doesn't match up to that is easily identified. And so that's what we need to do when we talk about testing all things. We need to become so familiar with the word of God. We need to be so indoctrinated with the truth of God's word that anything that doesn't sound right, anything that, that, that isn't quite online, we can identify it. And one of the things that causes a lot of the problems in our world today is that we put pressure on our preachers to come up with something new. Isn't that true? Yes. We love it when we hear something new. But what I like to tell people is that if it's new, it's probably wrong. And so we've got all this pressure on preachers, find something new. We don't want to hear the same old thing all over again. Find something new. And then we got people digging in and making up stuff. And the reality is that that if it's new, with all the thinking and the 2,000 years of preaching, you know, you're not going to find anything brand new. There are new ways to apply it. There are new ways maybe to illustrate it. There are new ways to, to understand it. But the Bible says what it's always said. And it's always going to continue to say it. And so we need, to, uh, we need to test all things and not get swept into this idea of finding something new. Uh, let, me, let me jump into this last point, and I'll just mention it quickly because I know you all are, are right with this. And that is that um, the, the verse says that we are to abstain from every form of evil. Now, Being ready involves resisting all forms of evil, according to verse 22. This is not saying that we should avoid any appearance of evil or anything that looks like evil. It's been used to teach people that even if it looks like evil, you shouldn't do it. What the verse is saying is that we need to avoid evil in all of its forms. And so we're being challenged here to resist what actually is evil. And 1 uh, John 1.9 is a verse that helps us to have victory over evil in our lives and to abstain from all forms of evil. 1 John 1.9, does anybody know it? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and to forgive us our sins from all unrighteousness. Now, I've heard that verse since I was a kid. And it just dawned on me a few years ago that, uh, that that verse is a verse of victory. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we get on the same page with God about our sins, uh, then certainly we will be forgiven our sins. But then he goes one step further and he says that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that cleansing word is the same word that's used in John 15 about pruning ourselves so that we will become more fruitful in John 15. It's like the farmer who will come and the branch that's bearing fruit, he will cut out the bad spot so that it can bear more fruit. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us our sins, but then like a good farmer where he'll come with his sickle and cut out the bad spots so that you can become even more fruitful. It's a verse that gives us victory over all kinds of evil, all kinds of things in our lives because we've got a farmer who's, who's there watching over us, tending his vineyard, making sure that we are able to be fruitful. Amen? Isn't that good news? And so it starts with confessing our sins. It starts with surrendering to him. It begins by allowing him to rule and reign in our hearts. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And Heavenly Father, again, we confess that we've fallen short. Lord, we need you to help us. We need your spirit to rule and reign in our lives. Help us to surrender to you. Help us to test all that we hear. Help us, Lord, to be who you've called us to be. And we'll give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Bob. Hey, Bill.
0: That's another wrap. I can't believe it. Number 31. I know. And it's going to be a great summer. We're, we're gearing up. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening this summer. Well, this summer we will be meeting uh, as we're allowed to um, based on our numbers. And, but whatever our numbers, we'll be able to accommodate folks. But it would be really nice to be able to be all together in one place. But um, we have activities planned for teens, for adults, for kids. A lot of fun things, a lot of different things, so we're going to have a lot of fun. Our theme is uh, Destination Holiest, so we've gone with a train theme, and so I think we're going to have a lot of fun with with it being as different as it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. The, the difference is, like, there's going to be a lot of differences, yes. but there's a lot of the same. That's right. Because you and Joyce are going to be here, mm-hmm. and great preaching from the Word of God, great mm-hmm. Keswick food, which is going to look a little different if... Yes. Uh, If uh, indoor dining doesn't open up, we're going to do a lot of outside eating. But either way, the food will be amazing. It is amazing. So call 1-800-453-7942 to make a reservation. Don't wait. Week one is already sold out. Two, three, and four have openings. Five have a little bit. But if you need a copy of our summer brochure, www.americuskesec.org. We appreciate you joining our podcast. Just a reminder that America's Kesec does depend on friends just like you to support this ministry with your gifts and with your prayers. You can call 1 800 453 7942 and give a gift on the phone or you can do it online at www.americuskesec.org. Donate now. Well, have a it's great a, day. It's a wrap. Yep. God bless. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let us know. Write us at bewealthy at or it'll be in the description below. If you'd like to learn more information about America's Keswick, you can visit our website at www.americaskesic.org. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 2.30 for the next edition of the podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Tyler. And have a good and godly day.